Varmt välkommen! Du lyssnar på en inspelning från internationell författarscen på Kulturhuset Stadsteatern med Elen Sixo i samtal med Ingrid Elam. Mitt namn är Ingemar Fast och jag är konstnärlig ledare för litteraturscenen i detta stora allkonsthus vid Särgelstorg i Stockholm. Låt samtalet ta sin början. Ellen Sisu, very much welcome and to this fantastic audience. And actually, you have hardly ever been translated into Swedish before. And now we have The Dong, that was published in 69, if I recall, and Inuti. Um, in Swedish, and uh, Le Rire de la Meduse. I think that was in 66? No, in 70. Le Rire de la Meduse? Right? No, in 75. Se- oh, it's 75, I mean. Mm. Mm. And then uh, Portrait de Dora, uh, Bilder of Dora, uh, 76. Mm-hmm. So it's all in rain, more, almost 40 and more than 40 years ago. And... Um, how do you see these texts today? Because they seem to appeal still. Uh, usually, you know, I don't read them. <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, I don't read myself, except when I'm really compelled to do it. That is, when I'm asked to answer. Uh, otherwise, I'm interested in the next one, the one I haven't written yet. Mm and which will be a surprise for me. Um, But uh, since you point to the fact that now uh, they arrive in the Swedish language, uh, it simply uh, means that literature has no age. Uh, It might well uh, be translated in 100 years. It wouldn't change anything. And of course it's interesting because um, uh, some some text might be might become obsolete, and particularly uh, Le Rire de la Méduse, the laughter of the Medusa, which is I think there's n- not one language in the world where it hasn't been translated to my dismay, because I, I became very quickly jealous of the Medusa. She she replaced me everywhere, and uh, I was very very upset about that. But she, has a, she carries a, a kind of political and ethical message. And whereas when I wrote uh, Le Rire de la Méduse, it, it was urgent. It was in 75 in France, very precisely. And I realized that the women around me had a real problem in, in, in all uh, the, the different parts of their lives. Um, <clears throat> even in their love life and in sexuality, everything. So when I wrote this piece, it was uh, at a very precise time of the history of women in France. And uh, so later I realized that this precise time, the 70s in France, uh, traveled around the world in at different stages and dates. 
uh, at one time, for instance, it uh, it appeared in Korea with with a lot after a long delay, let's say in the in the nineties. And so, so for me, it was like the the discovery that in Korea, it was I mean the time the clock was it was the seventies in nineteen ninety. It goes on like that. It's it's a symptom of the world. Yes, mm. but what is also intriguing, I think, is that when it was the seventies in Paris, it was almost the seventies in Sweden. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and we in my youth, we read you, and, and uh, I realized that you wrote these books in a very particular political situation mm. and um, a very particular situation with uh, colleagues and other philosophers and a discussion that was ongoing. Mm -hmm. And still today, there's a new generation mm. in France and in Sweden mm. who seem to see that this not so much has changed. Yeah, Is it, that so? Yes, it's true. It happens this way, even, even in France, you know. Uh, which means that there has been a, a time when it was uh, the, the urgency of the, of the present. Then it dwindled, it died, and it, it's revived. And it goes this way all the time. But of course, it, stay, it takes time, so, <laughs> so that's why thinking about it, you know, is, it's a bit uh, awesome too, because you realize that uh, uh, the Medusa, who is eternally young, was born in 75, <laughs> so she should be an old woman now, but no, <laughs> history revives her. But it, it was really a manifesto about bringing out a feminine mm. writing, a feminine language, a feminine mm. way of, of looking at the world. Mm. And, and um, in those days, you were sometimes labeled as essentialist. Yeah, but this was uh, merely a trick of uh, uh, a little party that was hostile in the United States. That is also very specific. Uh, and they coined, uh, or they came with this, uh, uh, this word which became an insult, you know. <laughs> and uh, it's, um, I think it's inadequate. Mm. It, it has no meaning it, and it's going to disappear <laughs> with time too. Because what it really was about was to, to sort of unveil what had been hidden, not to choose one dichotomy. Of course not. Particularly, it means that people haven't read. When, when you read the, the text, you see that uh, it, on the contrary, deconstructs completely opposition. And it, it makes for a trance for... Um, uh, difference with an A, as Derrida would say, that is the, the, the passing or the passage from one to the other in the continuity, the exchange or the met metamorphosis, just the contrary of essentialism. So those who use this word simply haven't read. But this is something which is very customary in uh, uh, situations or, or, or that concern theory. 
We read articles instead of reading the original. Yeah, yeah. yeah. This has always been done. Mm -hmm. It's the fast track. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but going back to your, to your first novel, uh, I don't know if you reread it now that you had to, but I've reread it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I haven't, but. <laughs> <laughs> I can tell you something about <laughs> <Good>. it. <though. laughs> uh, it's, it's, um, it's a story, of, uh, it's a woman speaking. At least one thinks it's a woman speaking. Mm -hmm. And it's about uh, a death of a father and a reaction of, towards the death of a father. And in, in one sense, you could say that the death of the father uh, gives birth to the author. Mm -hmm. um, probably, but I'm not sure. It's, it's inside, inside mm. this theme. Mm. Uh, I don't think, for instance, I, I think, uh, maybe I'm wrong, that I don't think that the, the character uh, becomes a writer inside the book. As you see, for instance, with Proust. You know, when Proust uh, writes, he, he makes as if, he, he pretends that he has, a, he, he's not a writer. The narrator is not a writer. He, he dreams of writing, and, and in the end, at the end of 2,000 pages, suddenly, there he comes to the point of writing. So it's a very beautiful trick in literature. But I don't think that in Dedans, the character becomes a writer. No, but, but the character, uh, there is a process of uh, language mm -hmm. in the book. Yeah. There is uh, a language that is developed. Uh, yes, it's true, but this is, uh, this is certainly permanent. This is certainly my way of uh, uh, entering writing by uh, listening to the, the, the mysteries of writing and, uh, and having writing itself as a, a character in the book, always. And the book itself is a character in the book and, ref and is looking at itself, you know, mirroring itself and... and uh, uh, being uh, very often uh, taken aback or surprised by what is happening, you know. Mm. So that's that's uh, one of my signatures. What, what I remember, because this uh, struck me recently, is that is the presence of animality mm. in the book, and the fact that uh, uh, th there's no frontier between. Uh, human beings and uh, animals in, in that first book, uh, which I think was rather, it belongs also to my world, but uh, it was long before uh, animals became the object of uh, thinking and uh, uh, Long before post-humanism. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but because the people, people in the book adopt animal gestures. Mm. They are animals. Yeah. We are yeah. all animals. We I are suppose. animals, yes. We but, are. Mm. And, and especially the, uh, the grandmother in, in the book is, is, uh, is mourning in an animal-like way, for instance. Mm. And, uh, and the teller, the narrator in the book, the, the book is in, in two parts, and in the second parts, uh, 
we, we are in Paris or somewhere, we don't really know, in, in, in the States, but there are a lot of experiences with uh, father figures, with men that are kind of father figures. So I'm still interested in this, the death of the father, what it means. <clears throat> there's, a, there's always a connection between you say somewhere in that book, actually, I think, mm -hmm. that the only true difference is not between man and woman, but between the dead and the living. Yes, I think so. Except that, of course, I've, I've come to uh, the point where I, I feel uh, that you cannot oppose the dead and the living uh, unless, unless you kill the dead, that is, which can happen. That is, we, we, can, we can maintain uh, those whom we call we, we call dead, uh, we can keep them alive. It's, it depends on us, of course. So um, my long dialogue with death isn't finished yet. <laughs> I have new experiences <laughs> regarding that. <laughs> uh, but um, yes, I I agree with your uh, your, your approach. But um, and there's a strong presence of men in, in the book. Yeah. It's probably also linked to the father figure, but I must point to the fact that uh, the, the, the father uh, who dies is, is a young father. Hmm. He's 36. He's he 36. He's a young man. It's the death of a young man. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, uh, the young man is not the old man. I mean, it's it's a huge difference of um, of joy, of uh, of mourning, and of course, he will forever be thirty six, thirty eight, not more. And uh, since we're haunted by uh, our personal ghosts, um, this paternal figure for me. That's my experience. It's what life and death have given me to begin with. Uh, I have a father who is 38. Who is younger than you are, yes. <laughs> Much younger than I am. <laughs> I could be his grandmother. <laughs> but sooner or later, we all, the, the child is the father of the man. As, yeah, that's true. Or becomes... Yeah. Becomes the father of That's the what Wordsworth says, but um, uh, and in his case, it's the, the child is father to the man, but it, the, the child is father to, to the parent. It's, you come to, to the moment when there is a reversal of roles, always. Mm. But I also think that we read you in those days, and perhaps I still read you like that, that as you say, you were not an essentialist, but rather deconstructing the mm -hmm. unconscious uh, uh, paternalistic way of, mm. of talking and, and mm. uh, describing the word. And um, so unconsciously, we adopt a male look upon the word. Mm -hmm. and, and what you were doing is, is bring forth all that, uh, that was... Um, uh, understood as female, uh, animalistic, babbling, uh, screaming, the Medusa, the Medusa way of mm -hmm. being. And 
you do it in, in language. It's really about language. And I have been thinking since you, you mix in uh, English and German and, and French, actually, the difference between French and German is very much in grammatical gender. It's dizona, uh, but le soleil, and the moon is the opposite way. Mm -hmm. So there's a mix-up of gender between the languages. Does that mean anything? Yes, I think that, of course, was my first, my first class. The, the first thing I, I understood uh, as, a, as a kid was that uh, we're, we're, uh, the, we're, in, we're the inhabitants of language and we're totally influenced, guided, guided ordered by, by language. And in my home, there were several languages running, principally French, which was my father's language, and German, which was my mother's language. Uh, and, and other languages, Spanish, Arabic, etc. And so, as, as, a, as, a, as a small child, I, I did realize things that are obvious for all of us. That is, when my grandmother said, die Sonne, the sun, it was feminine. And the, the, the next second, or in, in the same second, it was le soleil, uh, very masculine and almost phallic in French, you know. So, I had the two images there, and uh, and it's there's so many cases that uh, uh, are exemplary of that. So immediately I I was schooled to that to the fact that it's a matter of approach of interpretation, not of reality, uh, and uh, that one can also very easily by tricks of tongue uh, transform one side, one, one shore to the other shore, one side to the other, one sex to the other, etc. Et and, and also very important, I think, is that um, death is very masculine in German mm. and very feminine in French. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. Mm. And it makes death something different. Mm. Yeah, uh, that is a, a mystery, of course. Uh, although la mort is, uh, if you if you know French and you're sensitive to uh, the the play that words the, the game of of words of what we call signifiers in in linguistics is is so special. La mort uh, is actually it's a it's a word that's very aggressive mm. uh, as a homonyme or a homophone. Because la mort, mort, it bites, you know, it's the same word. And it's, it's rather frightening. Uh, but it's feminine. And uh, in German, der Tod, which is also a, a very um, cutting word. Mm -hmm. Tod, mort, it's only one syllable, you know, it's finished. Mm -hmm. And I suppose it's the same in Swedish. Död. Yeah, it's the same. <laughs> it's the last word, you know. Yeah. You, you, you don't even have the time to finish it. 
Uh, and it's masculine in German and in Swedish. Uh, we don't have you don't difference. Have, you don't we have don't have gendering grammar. Uh, yeah, so it's important. Mm -hmm. and, and, and going over to English, which was my second best language, uh, I had to do also with this uh, type of language which displaces completely the action of, of gender. It's very neutral. Go, you, you've always written also for the stage, or you started to write for the stage very early. And uh, this play that has now been translated into Swedish, Portrait de Dora, Portrait of Dora. Mm -hmm. In Swedish, it's uh, pictures in, in the plural of Dora, mm -hmm. which I think is uh, uh, smart. <laughs> my, my translators decided that, and they were, I think they, they were right. Mm. Because portrait, the mm. way you use it, mm. is ambiguous. It's ambiguous, yes. Mm. Could you say something about that? Because in, in one way, to, to, to paint a portrait is to frame the model. Mm. Mm. And at the same time, it's to give a place to the space to the model. Mm -hmm. So it's very ambiguous. You're quite right. Actually, Portrait de Dora um, is a theft. It's yeah. the result of, the, of a theft. Because Portrait de Dora was, uh, it was kept inside a, a novel, a, fiction, a piece of fiction, which was called Portrait du Soleil, Portrait of the, of the Sun. And um, now, try to make the portrait of the sun. It's impossible. You can't even look at the sun. I can't even look at the lamp, you know? So you can't make the portrait of the sun. But, so, maybe literature tries to make the portrait of the sun, something that is, uh, dazzles you, in lights, gives you light, and blinds you at the same time. That's, that's what you have to do. And Portrait of Dora was issued out of this, and, uh, and inherits this paradox that you want to make a portrait, and it's impossible. You can't make a portrait, particularly of Dora. Because she's unstable. She doesn't even know who she is and what is her sex or her desire. She doesn't know whether she is a boy or a girl, whether she loves a woman who is a man, etc., etc. So this was one of the ingredients of this text. Mm. And, and also, in, in, of course, it, it goes back to a, one of, of uh, Freud's cases, but it's also the fact that uh, all the others want to define Dora because they want to put the blame on her. Mm. Or they want to, she's like a scapegoat. It's the, it was the usual situation in bourgeois families, but it's still the same situation today. You'll find Doras all the time. Mm. And according to... <coughs> <clears throat> the development of uh, the, the culture of the family, etc., you, you'll very easily find uh, girls who are Doras today, that is, who have to conform to the projection of the father or mother of family or even the, the siblings on this personality. But what you do, as opposed to Freud, is, of course, to not define her hysteria as a sickness, but as mm. a as a strength. <clears throat> this is, of course, what, what, I, what I thought when I met Dora first. 
I think I was her age when I met her. Mm. Mm. That is when I was 18 and started writing, uh, reading Freud. And um, I felt uh, very familiar with Dora. And I must say that I couldn't understand Freud. I was reading Freud, actually. And it gave me a shock because I thought, well, if according to his description, if, women, if woman is what he says, then I'm not a woman. And since I was only 18, I thought he must be, he must be, he must be right. I'm sure he is. He, he's the master, and I'm not a woman. I, I can't recognize myself in that. And much later, it came back to me, <clears throat> and I started deconstructing the, the whole scene. Uh, I must add that I, I adore Freud, but he's, as I always say, he's a kind of great uncle, you know, that kind of uh, Jewish uncle that uh, I, I would have in, in the streets of of Vienna. <laughs> <laughs> and he became an exile too. Because I'm, I'm too late, too late to be a real exile. Or, or, or we should say that he probably has always been a kind of exile regarding or a marginal uh, wonder during his lifetime. <clears throat> Looking at the authors that you have uh, paid special attention to, uh, Freud, Kafka, uh, and others, many of them seem to be what Said called out of place, exiled in some way, or, or minorities within, within a majority society, as uh, I suppose your own family was in, in North Africa. And is this a coincidence, or is the... No, I think that uh, I would add uh, another type to uh, those you mentioned. And this I, I would borrow from Tsitaeva, the, the Russian poet. Uh, there's a long line of out-of-place people, mm. uh, among them women very often, animals, of course, all kinds of exiles, immigrants, etc., et foreigners, and poets, and uh, I think that is a, a real writer, even though he's integrated, as for instance uh, the, the type Balzac, Balzac, uh, who who was a reactionary, an incredible reactionary, uh, a crazy monarchist, and uh, a, uh, somebody who despised the people, who hated the people, but. In spite of himself, in spite of Balzac, <laughs> he out-Balzacs Balzac, and, and what he produces is something that is, on the contrary, totally marginal, and, and he introduces all kinds of, uh, there are homosexuals, prostitutes, uh, criminals, etc., etc. This is what Lukács called uh, the victory, victory of realism. Yeah. That it, it, it conquered Balzac. <laughs> I think that uh, simply art is stronger than the, than the, the artist, always. Mm. Mm. But we should also mention uh, perhaps the author that you 
perhaps even identify most with uh, Clarice Lispector? Oh, I don't identify with her. No, no. Um, I, I, have, um, I have enormous gratitude because um, when I was, I, when I started writing, etc., uh, I felt a, a very insisting loneliness hmm. uh, because all my friends were dead and, and men. You, know, you mentioned Kafka, but there's my favorite writers in France, Montaigne, uh, Stendhal, people whom I absolutely cherish. They're all, all men, and I thought I'm not going, so I'm going to live all my life with only men. Not that I don't love them, but it's, uh, it's very repetitious, and, and I'd like to meet women too. You know? <laughs> um, and eventually, but it was very late already, I, I, suddenly I came upon Clarice Lispector's work, and I had already written 15 books myself, you know, and and there was a woman to whom I could relate and who was a contemporary. There was also Ingeborg Machmann, uh, whom, whom I, I do really admire and love. Uh, but she too was dead and uh, uh, so... Uh, and when I started reading Clarisse Lispector, she was still alive, although I didn't care about that. Whether she was dead or alive, it was her work. Perhaps um, identify was the wrong word. I, I could have chosen Wahlverwandtschaft because yeah. there is something in Lispector and in you that I at least can identify mm. as mm. writing as an ongoing in the present mm. tense mm. thing. Yeah, yeah. As opposed to yes. Balzac. Yeah. who doesn't write in present tense. Yes, yes, of course. But then, then I'm I feel close to Stendhal, who is in the present always. Yeah, that's yes. true. Um, but what I feel most is, uh, the, or are, the, the differences. And I must say, for instance, that Clarice Spector also interests me because she has uh, really espoused completely uh, Brazil, in, in a way that is so insistent. She, she, she will insist that she's Brazilian, that she cannot write outside Brazilian. She's Brazilian. It's, it's a kind of alliance that is so deep, and it's true. Mm. Uh, <coughs> it's not at all my own position, because I, I could never say I am French or whatever. Mm. Um, but what, the, the way she goes deep, and she's very close to philosophy, is something that I recognize. Mm. Mm. I would like to talk about your latest book that has not been translated. And actually, it's one of many books that, that um, deal with um, the fate of the European Jews. And this and also relates to your own family, but they are like, it's still fiction. But I'm talking about Gardos Nabruk à Jérusalem. Came out this year, didn't it? Uh, I think it was 2016. And, uh, in, in January. Yeah, yes. early <coughs> this year. <coughs> and it, it seems to me that what you write about in your early books as 
bringing out the hidden, the female, the f female writing, the, the text that becomes sexed, also has something to do with everything that was not possible to remember. Uh, I'm talking about the fact that uh, your mother, your aunt, and your grandmother, they left very early, or they left Germany in the early 30s, and therefore survived. But did you hear a lot about this when you were a child? Oh, enormously. <coughs> uh, but uh, my mother left, the moment Hitler arrived, she took her suitcase and went. She was very, very, very keen and, uh, and an excellent reader of, uh, of, the, of the scene. Whereas she was only 19, she immediately left. Uh, the family remained in Osnabrück, the, that's the, the city in Hanover where they come from. And my grandmother stayed until November 1938, which is Novem November 38 is Kristallnacht. She was there. And at that time, at that date, no one could go out. Uh, Freud came out in 38, but with the help of Marie Bonaparte. And my grandmother came out because suddenly the French consul, who was in Dresden, wrote to her and told her, maybe you haven't realized that you have a French passport, which my grandmother didn't know. And she had a, a French passport because uh, she, when, when she was a young uh, wife, her husband, Michael Klein, had settled in Strasbourg, which was German, it was German, and as a German, he built a factory in Strasbourg, in France, that is, in Germany, which is still there. The factory of my grandfather is still in Strasbourg. And, um, and after the end of the First World War, where my grandfather died as a German soldier, um, my grandmother, who was a widow, went back to her family in Osnabrück, but all the, uh, the the inhabitant of Elsass, after the, the Treaty of Versailles, which was the, the treaty that put the, uh, an end to, to the First World War, they could have a French passport. She didn't care about that because she was German and lived in Germany. So she didn't even know that she, she could have one. My mother herself, she became French later. I mean, in, in 1930, she realized that, and she took the French nationality, which was open for her because of the same situation. Uh, so my, ma my grandmother came out when no Jews could escape. Mm -hmm. But her own family, which was huge, these were huge families with so many children, uh, uh, half of these families were, uh, died in concentration camps. The others disseminated throughout the world. And uh, so when I was a tiny little girl in Oran, where my mother had uh, married, that is in Algeria, my grandmother who had joined us, she would receive uh, news from the family uh, from everywhere in the world and also, and this I have witnessed, from, from, uh, from Theresienstadt, her, her sisters and brothers were in, in concentration camps there and then in Auschwitz, 
And from Therese in charge, she received postcards. Mm -hmm. She knew they were in the concentration camp. And in this town of Snabrück, there are some very known family. It's Nussbaum, who, who was an artist and who came to Theresienstadt. Pardon? Uh, uh, Nussbaum, yes. Yeah. Nussbaum is from Osnabrück. Yeah. Yes. And Remarque. Yes, and Remarque. <laughs> yeah. Family Remarque. Remarque. But, but you tell that the novel is a way of, of going to Osnabrück and in a way never coming there. And, and mm. Uh, mm. It's, it's, it's a very special kind of fiction that is trying to it's to epic. have the memories mm. of others. Actually, it's a kind of epic for me. Yeah. That is, Osnabrück was, uh, it had become a legend when I was a, a child. Uh, there were the tales of Osnabrück, you know, every day. My grandmother, who did speak French when she arrived in, in Algeria, she would tell me about Osnabrück. So I went round the streets of Osnabrück, and everything happened. And I realized very quickly that Oran, O-R-A-N, was anagrammatically uh, included in Osnabrück. So I thought, it's the same town, you know. Oran is inside Osnabrück. And um, I was very familiar and very exciting. Uh, and later, of course, I... I I was conscious of the of the tragedy. Um, the, the 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 impossible the impossibility uh, was uh, or the metaphor of impossibility was coming back to Osnabrück, mm. you know, a kind of uh, odyssey. You know, will Ulysses ever come back to Ithaca? I think he never went back to Ithaca. Mm. So it's exactly the same. Uh, I realized that my my family would never come back to Osnabrück, where there were no Jews left. And uh, so I, I dreamt about it. And Osnabrück is a very interesting city. It became very quickly in the 30s, in already in 1929, it was 90% Nazi. It went very, very much, much quicker and much more completely than Berlin because it was a small town. Mm. Everybody became Nazi. And if you were not a Nazi, you had to be a Nazi because your neighbor was a Nazi, etc. And um, so I looked at that. It was, was extremely striking and, and interesting. And then there was uh, um, suddenly a coup de théâtre that the, the city of Osnabrück turned to uh, the contrary of, of itself and became a Friedenstadt. Uh, it suddenly decided that instead of being 90% Nazi, it would be 90% open on the contrary to uh, foreigners, etc., and become the city of peace. And they, they had an initiative. They started the... the, the uh, the, the town hall started looking for surviving Jews, if there were any. And that was very interesting as, as a, a way of proceeding to deal with what they call Erinnerungskultur, uh, the culture of remembering. 
so they sent messengers exactly as in the Bible. They would send, you know, doves, pigeons, etc., throughout the world. Are there any Jews from Osnabrück alive? And 10 Jews in the world answered. And did your mother answer? So my mother received a letter, and uh, her sister who lived in Manchester, that's the, another branch of the family, the British one, received the letter, <clears throat> and uh, I, I would hear them uh, quarrel about the, this poisoned offer. Should we go to Osnabrück? And uh, it was a kind of comedy. It was a tragic comedy. So my aunt would say, uh, maybe we should go if we're sure that we'll be in a five-star hotel. <laughs> you know? uh, so it went on and on, you know. And uh, I, I gently pushed them, you know, my two old uh, actresses, I would say, you should go, you know. Yes, it sounds like a play. Mm. It sounds like a play. It's a play. Really. It became a play, yeah. actually. Yeah. But there is, <laughs> but there is a, a tragedy in the play, too. It was tragic. It was tragic. And especially mm. the uncle. It's the Lear story, the King Lear story mm. in, in, within the mm. story. Mm. Is, uh, it's really heart-gripping mm. uh, about mm. the father whose daughter has emigrated mm. a Zionist. Mm. That's, that's a, a, it's a, trage a tragedy within the tragedy, which for me is a very important theme. This is in Garda Snabrück, the, the last book uh, that I wrote, because my, my grandmother's elder brother, they were, they were nine children, and the elder brother, who, who was supposed to be the more, more of a poet, um, and his name was Andreas Jonas, uh, he, he was also, he also remained in Osnabrück with his uh, family and his daughter traveled to Palestine. She ex escaped to Palestine in early in the early thirties, uh, and uh, somehow the father and mother decided that they would join the daughter in Palestine. It was very difficult. You know, in 1935 or 1936, for Jews to travel from Germany, that is. Uh, escape and travel to uh, the eastern countries. And he was old at the time. And uh, so, but the story inside Gardosnabrück is that when the father reaches eventually Palestine and the dream of Palestine, and the daughter is there and suddenly he discovers that his daughter is, I hope you know Shakespeare, I hope you know the King Lear, and suddenly, Andreas looks at his daughter and he realized that she's Goneril or Regan. She's One, not Cordelia anymore. She's no. not Cordelia. And she says to the father, now you're not going to annoy me with your old age and incapacity. Go back out of here. So she expels the father to his death. To his death. This is the typical um, kernel, tragic kernel, that is buried. Uh, if when you when you 
when you approach this taboo theme of what is now called the Holocaust, which a word, or in France, Shoah, these are words that are made up. When I was a child, it, doesn't, it didn't exist, Holocaust or Shoah. You know, there were people, individuals, millions of individuals with separate stories. Uh, then it becomes a kind of globalized uh, event, very dramatic with films and uh, books, etc., etc. And it's taboo. That is, you, you cannot say the truth ever because you cannot say, the, the community will tell you, you're not going to say that this Jew was a criminal. You can't say that because since he has been a victim, that then he's, he's, a kind, he's sacred, you know. And it's very difficult to deal with that. Whereas what was tragic was that everywhere there, there were the, the tragedies of the families exactly as in Greek tragedy. They were killing one another as in all families. The Nazis came over that. But you, you say in the book that these are personages, uh, uh, people, persons who belong on the stage. Yeah. Uh, exactly because mm -hmm. of this. Mm -hmm. And also I, I was struck by the fact that some words, you keep them in German as if they have no sense in any other language. Mm -hmm. Like uh, Vernichtung, Ermordung, uh, Vertreibung, mm -hmm. and so forth. But this uh, is something that I have, of course, experienced, but it's, it's also recognized. We know that the Nazis invented a kind of German, uh, of Nazi German within German, which has damaged uh, the German language. This was German, but it was not, it, it, it was uh, boiled to, uh, it, it was uh, inflamed, and they, they had that huge um, police uh, persecu uh, persecutory uh, 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 semantics everywhere of which uh, all Europeans who have been in contact with uh, that, uh, that moment still have traces. Hmm? Uh, when still, I know that people have the, the feeling, particularly in France, of having in the ears uh, a strange uh, barking German, which is Nazi German, you know. Of course, this is not at all my German. But then it became a kind of poison inside the, the German language. And you cannot uh, eliminate that. So when, when I started writing on the scene these words, uh, which have become cursed and, and were curses, uh, couldn't be replaced. They had to be there. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, you, I know that you are uh, a re close reader of E.T.A. Hoffmann and a German tradition that is quite something else. But, mm -hmm. but here, these, these words in Ung, mm -hmm. they stand out. Mm -hmm. <laughs> All these um, substantives that, mm -hmm. that are connected to... It's as if they had uh, 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 performed a kind of hold-up on most substantives, you know. But reading this book and also your, your 
before you wrote a book that was just called Osnabrück, and, and now this is Gard uh, Osnabrück, Jerusalem. It's really not a, a linear story. It's a, you write the story as if in loops, hmm? not in circles, but rather in loops. It, it moves on, but it comes back also. In, in Gardesnabrück, you mean? Also, or in anything you write. I think it's, it's very much so also in, in your early books. It's a, it's a it's unlinear way of writing. It, I, I can't, I can't, uh, I have never been able to, to adopt the, the form of a classical narrative. Mm. Uh, I, as, as, a, as a reader, I came into literature guided by Joyce. Uh, that is when I, I started working on Joyce when I was 22, and for me he he was the uh, the, the new writer, and uh, he had done of course completely with uh, narrative. But for me it was obvious. You, for me it was obvious that one couldn't anymore, exactly as one couldn't paint Picasso couldn't paint. As uh, in a classical way, even though he was fed, nourished by uh, the classical tradition of uh, of painting, exactly in the same way in literature, it was the time of Joyce. How could one uh, have a narrative with a succession of with a kind of logical um, sh shackled? Uh, uh, um, uh, ensemble of set of chapters, you know, it, I, I, I've never been able to do that. Although I know how to make a tale, and particularly for the theater, you have to have something that has a kind of order. But in fiction, you don't have to. Uh, it, it, it's in fiction, you only have events. It, it happens. This happens. This happens. And uh, and I think that uh, readers are uh, also they also belong to the time. They know how to read this. Hmm. Of course they do. Even if uh, it's it's also a way of of uh, experimenting. Can you really reach the truth? Let's try again. Hmm. And this is how I read you. Well, yeah. Yes, well, you, you try all doors. You, you go every way and uh, in and out. And there's a, an experience of uh, what is impossible, what the impossibility of retelling history, especially in, 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 um, in this respect, but also uh, the history of a family, or the history of, of uh, the, the Jews in Europe, or the history of what happened. As you say, they only remember it as, the family remembers it as, as uh, people, as individuals mm. who disappeared <coughs> and, and who were killed. But also, you cannot tell the whole story, especially mm. what you were saying there about, you cannot tell the story of crooks. Mm and they have become witnesses. But this was the same, I think, in your early books on feminism. Oh yes, of course, too. it doesn't have to do with Jews no, or whatever. No, no, no. It's our problem. 
and it started not with the 20th century, but uh, with the Greeks and with Shakespeare, you know, when he says, uh, ourselves we do not owe. We, we, do, we do not know and we do not owe. We're not the owners of ourselves. We don't know anything about ourselves. Mm. We live with ourselves, yes. But we, uh, uh, you, you of course share that with me, we surprise ourselves all the time. We keep thinking, how is it that I did what, how could I do that? It's exactly the contrary of what I wanted to do. We keep doing things that we don't want to do. And the contrary. Uh, suddenly we marry, I think. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yesterday I said I would I shall never marry. Next day I'm married, you know. <laughs> so uh, of course we. First of all, it means that we escape uh, all uh, speculation. And and then of course, uh, when you write and uh, you want to, when you want to write a book, you're not going to write things that you already know or can know. You're aiming at what is impossible, what frightens you mostly, or uh, what you guess is very dangerous, uh, what you mustn't say. And it's, it's serious. You cannot do it. You cannot do it. So part of the book is really a struggle with what it cannot say. Mm. Yeah, that's what... I was trying to say, but I didn't manage. <laughs> and, and it seems to me that writing is a way, because you've written, I think I counted to up to 80 titles in your list of uh, publications. Including theater. Yes. Mm. Maybe. <laughs> it's, very, it's a lot. <laughs> and and um, I remember years ago when I was working at the theatre... It's, it's I, much I, less than Balzac, you know, who, who, died, who died very early. And ha drank a lot of coffee to be able to oh, say. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but still, I, it, it, it seems to me that writing with you is, is a way of... of, uh, of Gaining knowledge about mm, oneself. Of course, it's it's uh, yes, it's uh, it's a, a fantastic kind of uh, I don't know plane or a, uh, underground plane, <laughs> uh, which I I need. I mean I I always think that uh, what happens through the magic of writing uh, is much more. Uh, it's much more um, inspired than I personally am. You know, when I, I sit at my table, uh, working very hard at painting my all my pages, and what comes out there is much ahead of what I've been thinking here. But this is not only me; it's all writers have this experience. It's yeah. some kind of. Um untamed way of writing, or letting your subjectivity get ahead of you. It's the opposite of some kind of objective narrator. Yes, uh, it's, uh, it's very different from certain artists in writing who, um, who, are, uh, who have a kind of, who are compelled, who feel the need 
uh, to be more painters than sculptors. Mm -hmm. That's the, uh, the example is Flaubert, mm -hmm. who with the tiniest sentence would work on four words for days and would write four different versions of one sentence uh, 20 times in order to, which I admire. This is another type of craftsmanship. But otherwise, I think that uh, I am more on the side of, of poetry, of, uh, uh, as I said, events, uh, sentences that arrive at a blow, that come in like that. And, and I, I, I try to catch them, you know. Usually I, I succeed in catching them. Sometimes uh, they, they brush past and I've lost them. <laughs> but this, this subjectivity is, is something quite different from the autobiographical. I mean, I, I think it's very, uh, there's always a risk of reading too, too much uh, trying to find out who is this person in real life and so on, because you do invest your own experience mm. and memory, of course, in what you write, but it's, it's a subjectivity that can be uh, shared. It's, it's uh, experience that is possible to share. Mm because it's ongoing also. And, the, and you can see that it's possible mm, to share. Yeah. But uh, I, I always, uh, I, I must say that writing, I mean, all writing and all art is autobiographical. Mm -hmm. it, because you, you are uh, the first you. It's not me, it's you. It's the first you or the first we. Mm? Uh, and this, of course, is the, the shared experience, it's what Montaigne says, Rousseau says, I mean, it's, it's obvious. Then, of course, uh, you don't, you may choose to, uh, to use the, uh, the genre of uh, the confession, and why not? It's very beautiful. Otherwise, it's simply uh, what you have experienced, but has not got uh, the, the shape of an avowal or something that you can uh, recognize that is or defined completely, it's, it's uh, undecidable. Um, and um, looking for, and what, what, what I think is, uh, what happens is that when you start writing, you reach, it's a kind of ladder, this way or this way, and you, you reach depths that are unsuspected. Uh, you, you take the family scene, which is one that you see in Kafka everywhere, all the time, and for me, it's, it's, so, it's so important. You look at the people are sitting at the table. Hmm? The family is sitting at the table. They're eating there. And, and sharing, and, and they play the play, uh, they play the play of the, fa the family. Uh, the, the play is called the family, hmm? you know, so help yourself. I've played that play. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but behind and underneath the table and here and, and there, there's so many other plays. 
And so many knives that think that they're not going to cut the meat, but maybe, you know, <laughs> be done with this or that as a member of the family. Hmm? Suicides and murders are committed while you have your meal. Hmm? And this, this is true and this is denied. Because, of course, if everybody started saying the truth, which is hidden, it's somewhere in the cupboard, then there would be blood on the table. So uh, it's a kind of uh, uh, pact of consensus. We're not going to even approach or feel the truth. No. And, uh, and of course, Literature is on the side of the hidden murders, always. And, and of course, the stage, I mean, Shakespeare's stage is bathing in blood. Of course. So what can you do on stage that you can't do in your poetic prose? Because you do a lot for the stage. Oh, but in, 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 uh, in, in my prose, if I can say so, or in my books, th there's a lot of blood. There are books that are, th there's no blood. <laughs> but uh, <clears throat> they're also very visual, I agree. But, but still, mm. the no, stage but is uh, the body on the stage. Yeah, it's true, but uh, there are also stages inside the books. Uh, I think that, uh, for me anyway, uh, the writing is always staging something. Mm. Except that uh, uh, instead of uh, performing with that wonderful instrument which is the body, it's performed by sentences that are bodies, arms, feet, uh, expressions of the, of the face, etc., etc. Mm. There's a wonderful little scene in the Dent where it's the narrator talks about Pharaoh's daughter, Pharaoh's daughter who's, mm -hmm. who's looking at the child in the mm -hmm. cot, and then suddenly the, the eye is in the cot. There's a change of, of perspective. You can be Pharaoh's daughter, but you can also be Moses in the cot, the same person. That's very visual. And it's, it's all, I mean, although I don't aim at visions, uh, I'm guided by visions because I'm, I must say that uh, the, the fuel for my writing comes from dreams, and dreams are visual. They're a system of visions always. Yes, dreams. I think time is flying so quickly. It's already late. Yes. Let's, let's it's, go it's, to our time, dreams. Time to write now. <laughs> yes. And thank you so much. I could have gone on forever, but I suppose we all have to go to our dreams. Thank you for coming. Thank you.